Welcome to Compliance Beat, the podcast for compliance and ethics professionals. We provide practical insights and answer your questions about compliance and ethics. Together, we'll stay up to date on current trends so that your program stays effective. Brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Here's your host, Eric Moorhead. This time, we're going to talk about three considerations for reporting. But first, as always, Please, please, please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. If you'd listen to us regularly, we'd sure love to hear from you. Uh, there's contact information on our website at compliancebeat.com, or you can go to moreheadconsulting.com, or you can email me directly at eric at moreheadconsulting.com. Any way you want to try to get a hold of us uh, through uh, long distance pigeon or uh, email or send us a letter. We are always happy to hear from people who enjoy our podcast and have either questions for future podcasts or other considerations they'd like to relate to us. We are very interested. So please do not hesitate to get in touch. And please, please, please do not hesitate to subscribe to the podcast. As always, um, we are planning to do some more free webinars. We had done a couple with our friends over at SAI Global. I think there are a few more of those on tap as we head out of the summer here. Summer months are always slow, um, but I expect here in certainly in August that we will uh, be putting together another free webinar. And once those details are together, I will announce it here on the podcast. So we always look forward to people joining us for those. So be on the lookout for that. So uh, let's talk a little bit about reporting. And I wanted to talk about three things, three con what I call three considerations for reporting in your organization. Uh, there are, uh, you know, things, things are, the issues around reporting can be very complex and very specific uh, to your organization. And that's where the first concept I want to talk about comes into. And that's the history of your organization and your culture. You really need to consider what is the history of uh, reporting of misconduct, uh, how misconduct has been handled in the past, what the perceptions are of your employees around reporting, what the culture, if you will, around reporting at your organization is to have a good handle on how you handle uh, messaging around that communication training and resources and tools that you might bring to bear for reporting. You need to sort of know the lay of the land first, if you will, uh, before you can make any decisions. You have to know uh, what people's perceptions are. Um, so this often means uh, conducting a survey or uh, evaluating a survey or or focus group results to get a sense of how people feel about speaking up in your organization. It could well be that people are hesitant to speak up. So you obviously don't want to waste a lot of time and resources either putting together tools, implementing um, a hotline reporting system or, or some other uh, expensive endeavor if you don't have a handle on how people will react to those resources and, and those, those uh, available tools. So getting a, a, a strong sense of where people are if you will, in the culture around reporting and speaking up is the first step to really understanding what you can do and what you perhaps can't do until uh, things change or you uh, apply some resources towards education and communication um, before you can move on to implementing new tools and, and operations around reporting. So that's the first step, um, just finding out what's going on. 
as I said, I think the probably the best way to do that, typically most organizations attack that through some sort of uh, survey instrument. And that might be part of a broader uh, compliance uh, and ethics survey or might be part of a broader HR survey where you can get a few questions. But common questions you would ask around this are, have you observed misconduct in the past? And if so, did you report it? And if not, why not? Those are three key questions I think that you'd like to know the answer to. Uh, and also uh, get a sense of uh, demographically where people fall out in different parts of your organization, in different parts of the operation, in different uh, jurisdictions, uh, to get a sense of where perhaps um, more issues might exist where there's a, a little steeper learning curve, if you will, than other parts of the organization. So that's the first step, is, is, is having some sort of basis upon which you can make some decisions around reporting and around what um, what tools you're going to bring bring to bear. And, and for that matter, what your, uh, what your communication, what your training, what your policies around uh, reporting are going to be. Uh, if you don't really know where the culture is, if you have... Um, if you're unsure about how people would answer some of those questions, like whether they would report or not, um, and whether they fear retaliation, for example, um, and, and again, that's not actual retaliation. Remember, when we talk about retaliation, we're talking about the perception of retaliation, whether it exists or not. The, the perception of retaliation causes people not to come forward and not to engage, ask questions, report concerns. So it's not necessarily whether there's actually been an incident of reporting, I mean, of, of retaliation rather. It, it's 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 whether people perceive that that is a potential outcome of them reporting. So uh, getting a lay of the land is the first thing that I really wanted to talk about, and I think that's the first step, if you will, uh, if you don't have a strong handle on where people stand on those issues within the organization. The next thing, and this is something that we often talk about, uh, the, the next thing that you want to consider is involving the middle of the organization, involving managers in this process. More and more often, if you are somebody who takes a look at what other organizations are doing, um, if, you're take, if you have, for example, looked at code of conduct, code of conducts that have been drafted in the last five years or so, very often the first line of defense, if you will, the first um, resource that individuals are pointed to when they have a question or concern is to go to their manager or to their supervisor. Um, that is very common these days. To, if you have a reporting tree, if you will, uh, the bottom, bottom limb, the bottom rung of that system is almost always a local manager or supervisor. Um, does no good, however, <laughs> if you are sending people uh, to their their manager or their supervisor and their manager or supervisor doesn't know what to do uh, once they've been approached, doesn't know how to triage uh, those reports, doesn't know how to escalate, uh, doesn't know how to keep an open door and encourage people to actually come forward in the first place. So the second consideration for reporting is educating and arming those managers with the information and the resources they need to be the front line of reporting. 
Um, if uh, if you are, if your organization is um, uh, moving in the direction that most organizations are in this respect, and you are looking to have people go to their managers rather than uh, go somewhere else as a first line of defense, then you need to make sure that those managers, A, know that that's being told to the population that they're aware uh, that they have this responsibility that's uh, being drafted into the code of conduct and other communications, um, that they know what to do uh, when people come forward, that they know how to create an environment where people are comfortable coming forward in the first place. All of these things have to be um, uh, thought of and implemented uh, contemporaneously or before you make that change and encourage people to go to managers. Because if you don't prepare the managers, uh, you're going to have at best an inconsistent result. Uh, some managers will um, be um, very um, proactive and, and figure out what they need to do and seek you out rather than you seek them out. Um, but not all managers will be that way and you'll have an inconsistent approach. So you want some consistency around this. So you need to really think through, okay, well, how do we want managers involved in this process? We say we want people to go to their manager and ask questions and report concerns. Well, what do we expect out of that interaction? Um, I, I'm afraid, and this comes from experience, I'm afraid that very often organizations haven't, haven't thought through what their expectations are for those managers once the report is made. And if there are no expectations, then at, again, at best, you're going to get an inconsistent result, if not uh, a primarily uh, negative result in that they don't do what you expect them to do or want them to do. So you need to tell them. You need to give them resources, you need to give them information, you need to train them and communicate with them on a regular basis so that they understand that they're part of this process and that this is an ongoing process and that it's part of their responsibilities and the expectations need to be there for managers. If you don't do that, um, then I think uh, it's probably um, not going to be successful if you direct people to a resource that's not really a resource, right? Uh, because it hasn't, um, hasn't been uh, fully, um, uh, the, the, the managers haven't been fully prepared, they don't have the resources, they don't have the training and understanding of what they're supposed to do in those circumstances. The, the other thing that I would say about this is uh, I can imagine that an organization might say, well then, we're not going to go that route. Um, we're not going to undertake uh, the education and communication effort, uh, the resources necessary uh, to get managers up to speed and integrated into this process. So we're just going to say in the code, uh, call the hotline or call the compliance office or call the legal department. Well, there's a problem with that. And, and there's a reason why organizations are moving to this uh, more uh, diffuse and broader uh, reporting process, including managers, you know, a broader base of managers as part of the process. Number one, it's happening anyway. Um, survey after survey over the last 10 years have sh has shown that uh, employees prefer, overwhelmingly prefer, to report to their manager or their local supervisor. And this is not surprising because this is who they know. This is who they trust. This is who uh, they have the most interaction with. It is less likely, 
particularly uh, somebody far down the chain of command, is going to pick up the telephone and call the general counsel of the enterprise, or call the the you know some other executive that is several tiers up uh, the management level from from that person's role. Um, that's asking a lot, and and it makes it must the 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 uh, inertia needed to get somebody to go through that process is much greater than the inertia needed for them to communicate with somebody who presumably they already have uh, a strong line of communication, or if not, there's something else going on that needs to be addressed, right? So so that relationship exists already. Uh, that's already a strong relationship. Um, one thing that I say repeatedly on this podcast and when I talk is, uh, culture is local. Uh, the culture of that unit, of that uh, office, of that location is defined primarily by the management there on the ground, not necessarily the CEO um, or anybody in the C-suite, although we, those people uh, might often like to think that they define the culture of the organization, and they certainly have a lot of uh, authority and, and pers- persuasive uh, powers, but they're not nearly as powerful or as important for the culture for that individual as their supervisor or their manager. So you can, you can and I think traditionally in um, when we were talking about a, a compliance issue, uh, if you went back 10 years, for example, you would see this, this notion of perhaps skipping uh, local management and encouraging people to go to a hotline helpline, call the legal department, or, or, or contact HR. Um, local HR is a little bit less um, intimidating, I think, a little bit more likely uh, that there's going to be a relationship that already exists. Uh, so that is a good um, uh, resource for most people. They're probably fairly comfortable with their local HR, unless there's been an issue of some, some sort. Uh, but they may not be as familiar with HR. Uh, maybe they, their only interaction with HR locally was when they were hired. Uh, and their daily interaction is with that manager or supervisor that they report to. So uh, you can uh, uh, encourage a reporting um, uh, structure or reporting tree that skips over uh, local management. But I think the reason why you're seeing so many organizations make that the front line, make that the initial point of contact is a recognition of the natural order of how uh, things are happening already. You know, People are more comfortable uh, going to their local manager than anybody else. Um, the least, they're least comfortable calling the hotline. Um, if you look at surveys, including um, the uh, biannual global business ethics survey uh, that um, uh, uh, ECA puts, uh, ECI rather, uh, puts on every other year, uh, those numbers are consistently single-digit single numbers overall uh, for preference in reporting. Um, you know, you get six to eight, maybe nine percent of the population uh, would would like would prefer to report to an anonymous reporting mechanism versus double digits for their local manager or local management or local HR. It's just uh, and it makes sense if you think about it. It's logical because that's where the relationship currently exists. Assuming that the relationship is not a damaged relationship or that the problem that the individual wants to report 
doesn't have to do, <laughs> obviously, with that manager. That's why we have uh, the anonymous reporting mechanism. But I encourage you to think about that reporting uh, channel as more of a fail-safe in those situations where people just don't feel like they have any other option. And that's often how we end up advertising the anonymous report reporting mechanism anyway. Um, but but uh, assuming that the problem is not with the local manager and assuming that the local manager has those resources we've talked about and has that training and com regular communication that we've talked about, then they should be prepared and ready to uh, encourage that uh, reporting, encourage people to come forward and know what to do and how to escalate uh, depending on what your internal policies are. So that's the second thing, and that's really key. Uh, and I think often overlooked, you know, even if you, again, even even if organizations have uh, reporting to your manager in their tree, they haven't really thought about what that means and what, what has to go along with that, the resources and training and communication that have to go along with that to make that channel work. And uh, the last thing that I want to talk about, which I've really been talking about this whole time, uh, really uh, plays into um, both figuring out what's going on in the culture and reaching out uh, to the population to find out how they feel about uh, re misconduct reporting and asking questions and uh, engaging the middle of your organization. All of these things uh, lead back to, quite frankly, more than anything else, communication uh, and, and really talking about what the expectations are. Um, we do a lot of formal training. I say we, as you know, most organizations do a lot of formal training. Most organizations have a code of conduct that they up update on a regular basis. Big ticket topics in both uh, training, I don't care what the topic is, uh, or um, uh, certainly code of conduct. If you boil it all down, if there's one through line, it's speak up, uh, come forward. We expect people to come to us with questions and concerns. Reporting is a steady drumbeat in all uh, training and um, uh, written standards that, that's out there. But where we kind of fall down on um, communi is, is communication, informal communication around reporting. Um, if you think about informal communication about, about reporting, very often it's the hotline poster which there's nothing wrong with that and the hotline poster is important and, that, and if you are a, an organization that um, ha, has to abide by the FAR guidelines, you have to have the hotline poster up, uh, as we all know. Um, so so I'm, I don't want to make it sound like I don't think the hotline poster is not valuable, but that can't be the extent of your communication around reporting. Uh, reporting, uh, informal communication around reporting needs to be constant and consistent. It needs to address issues that are relevant to, to the population out there. Uh, as I mentioned a few min minutes ago, uh, it, this, the perception of, re, uh, of, of, of a negative result or retaliation or something bad happening if I, if I speak up is human nature. It's very hard to disabuse people of the idea that something bad could happen to them if they come forward with something that perhaps is, you know, pretty significant in the uh, in the day to day of, of the organization, a pretty significant piece of misconduct or fraud or or something that they're really concerned about. Um, uh, so you know, we're already starting from a position where people are apt 
to allow the status quo to to go on. Um, if it ain't fixed, don't broke. If it if it ain't broke, don't don't fix it. Uh, if nobody's saying anything, uh, why should I you know stick my neck out? Uh, there's uh, there there are lots of reasons why you know human nature works against having people come forward and speak about these things. So one of the things that we have to do uh, as compliance and ethics educators is to talk about these things and be really honest about it and say, we understand that it can be really hard to come forward uh, if you feel like you're the only person that's speaking up, that you don't want to be singled out. Uh, even if you're not afraid of uh, necessarily uh, having significant retaliation, you know, losing your job or losing assignments or being mistreated, it's still potentially a, a social stigma, if you will, uh, to come forward and be the whistleblower or the snitch, if you will, in uh, in in some of these circumstances. So we're already working from a a a, a, a position where people are apt to take the the. Uh, the path of least resistance and not speak up and not stick their neck out. So we need to be really blunt about it. We need to say, we know it's hard. Um, but, you know, if we don't, uh, the consequences for, for, for us individually and for, for the organization as a whole can be really significant. It could, you know, it could literally lead to, in certain circumstances, uh, some organizations have gone out of business because of significant misconduct that uh, that that happened. You know, if you're a you know I mentioned FAR a couple minutes ago. If you're a government contractor, and you have a significant enough uh, uh, issue, then that might lead to a criminal conviction, and that might lead to debarment uh, from fed for future federal work, and you can no longer be a government contractor, and your business ends. You know, uh, I guess Arthur Anderson's probably still the the poster child for for the death penalty, if you will, for an organization that takes a conviction. But those things do happen. They're pretty rare, but they happen. Um, but we need to talk about what what. Uh, you know, what, although it's hard to come forward, although it's hard to sort of be out of step with uh, the other people in our in our organization that aren't speaking up about something that uh, is going on, it, it is important. And, and we need to talk about why it's important. We need to talk about how the organization will support people who come forward and how it's really part of our job obligation to come forward and, and make sure that the, the, the organization is operating consistent with the law, consistent with our policies, consistent with our values as an organization. And uh, it may seem like a small thing. You say, well, you know, our, our training talks about that. But training is a different animal. Uh, people go through training. They're in training mode. Uh, we need to be communicating to people with shorter, smaller, um, uh, more specific bursts. We need to encourage uh, the um, commercial uh, uh, people in the organization, the business unit leaders, to include messages about reporting, speaking up, asking questions in their general discussions about goals um, for the organization. It needs to come up in a lot of different contexts from a lot of different people. Um, it can't, you know, and, and the, while the uh, hotline poster is great, that can't be the extent of it. It can't be uh, just the page in the code of conduct that talks about how you report something and, and the poster on the hotline. That can't be the extent of it. That's not enough. Uh, and the reason we know it's not enough is when we conduct these surveys with every organization, there's still this percentage of people who aren't coming forward. And it may be 
um, you know, only say it's, you know, 20 or or 25 percent of the people who observe misconduct don't come forward. But but they don't. And, you know, if you're missing a quarter or or a fifth of all of the uh, issues of misconduct, uh, if you're missing them simply because people aren't coming forward and doing the bare minimum, uh, that's something you have to address. And I think the way to address that is through a really serious informal communication uh, program. And we'll probably talk in the future. I might do a whole episode on different ways that you can uh, communicate informally. I think if you look back through uh, the podcast, if you haven't listened to all of them, um, I do already have a couple of episodes where I talk about uh, leveraging informal communication. Um, but we really don't have time to go into it in too, de- too much detail here as to what the collateral would be. But basically, anything that you can write, record, uh, any kind of interactive elements, uh, uh, you know, if you, ha- if you have a population that's primarily or, or, or at least a segment of your population is, uh, has access to your intranet site, you can use interactive materials. Um, and uh, making sure that those messages get cascaded uh, by the by the leadership of your organization in the commercial part of the business, not just by you, not just by the CEO once in a blue moon, not by the you know the the, the general counsel once every two years, but by a uh, a diversity of voices throughout the organization, uh, so that the message really carries. And ultimately, um, going back to point number two, you want those messages to be something that is coming out of the mouths of those local managers, of those people that set the culture uh, of, of the organization more than anybody else. Um, uh, and there are ways to do that too. And we've talked about that in the past, about how to educate and, and sort of arm your uh, local managers to, to be not only uh, a conduit, uh, up the chain of command to escalate things, but also a, uh, a communication conduit down the chain of command. That's important too. So I hope those three things are kind of helpful. I think that kind of sets the stage for what you really need to be thinking about around reporting. And, uh, uh, you know, there's lots of other things. I think that, you know, when you think about when when organizations start thinking about reporting, they start, start thinking about tools. They start thinking about uh, hotline systems and uh, reporting uh uh, programs and uh, uh, case management software and and all of these bells and whistles and that's all important too and, and we've talked about it in the past and we'll talk about it in the future but I think there's some fundamental questions here these three fundamental questions that you really have to think about before you start uh, uh, spending a lot of time and resource on specific tools if you don't have a good idea about where the problems lie uh, if you don't have a plan to get the vast majority of the of the uh, uh, operational managers on board and if you don't have a plan for communication then I don't I think I wouldn't say that you're you're not going to be successful absolutely uh, implementing those tools but you're probably not going to be as successful as you would be if you had thought through these things before you spent the time and resources on those tools but just some food for thought on on reporting uh, as always questions comments please let us know And until next time, thank you. Thanks for listening to Compliance Beat. Check out our website, compliancebeat.com. This podcast is brought to you by Moorhead Compliance Consulting. Be sure to check us out at moorheadconsulting.com.